Blog Talk Radio. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed. I'm going to start the show out with one of my favorite poems because I'm in the mood to. It's by Rumi. It's called Bonfire at Midnight. A shout comes out of my room where I have been cooped up. After all my lust and dead living, I can still live with you. You want me to. You fix and bring me food. You forget the way I've been. The ocean moves and surges in the heat of the middle of the day. In the heat of this thought I'm having, why aren't all human resistances burning with this thought? It is a drum and arms waving. It is a bonfire at midnight. On the top edge of a hill... This meeting again with you. Welcome everyone to Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed. I'll be right back in just a moment. Our good friend, Woden Green. Green Magic, Green Medicine, with your host, Susan Weed. And I see Susan is a Q, and I just turned I've been coming to the show. Are you there? <laughs> Hi. Green blessings to you. Green blessings. we got new apprentices, two new apprentices. Oh, my gosh, that you've not introduced them to me yet. I thought you introduced them all. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Well, would you like to meet the new apprentices? Absolutely. Hello, I'm Caitlin, one of the new apprentices. Very nice to meet you. Caitlin, my niece is named Caitlin, by the way. Oh, excellent. 
my other niece Emma visited, I told them each to, I had a bowl of stones, and I mm-hmm. said, pick a stone. And at the end of the week, after they picked a stone in the beginning of the week, I made them each a gem out of a stone. So that's cool. Your name is Caitlin. I really like that name, and she's very lively. Uh, so nice to meet you. Yes, you too. Thank you for sharing the story. Hmm? Hi, this is Ingrid, the other new apprentice. Nice to meet you. Ingrid. Hello, I'm Daniel. Yes. Hi, Daniel. And nice to meet you. And so you just started with uh, Susan Weed? I started one week ago today. Oh, okay. Well, fantastic. Yes. Um, Looking forward to the show tonight. Your years. So I think you'll learn a whole lot, as I have. I certainly have. <laughs> Absolutely. I have no about that. Fantastic experience. So nice to meet you, Ingrid. Nice to meet you, too. Lovely. Yes, Ingrid got to hear last week's show. And Lisa has now graduated. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lisa was here for 13 weeks. And she promises that... Uh, She's going to be coming back. She lives nearby, so I'm quite well assured that she will indeed do as she wishes, which is to come back. Happy Equinox to you. And to you as well. Did you do anything special about the Equinox? I did very internal things meaning just I started doing more internal meditations. I didn't do anything public or didn't do anything. I mean, I posted a video of something. I posted a video of my first magic wand I ever made. But as far as actual uh, uh, celebration of of the time that you mentioned, it was more of internal searching and connecting and connecting with some people, the ones I think are important. But... It was more internal stuff, sort of dark moon stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Didn't work myself. Yeah, basically. I think of the equinoxes as turnaround times. Mm. Because that's what's happening, right? Up until today, the days have been longer than the nights. Mm. And now it turns around, and starting tomorrow, the nights will be longer than the days. Right. Until we get to spring equinox when it turns around again. And if you put a stationary camera and have it take a picture of the sun every day for a year, it will look rather like a figure eight on its side. And, of course, the ends, if it was standing upright, the top and the bottom of the figure eight, are the the solstices, the greatest amount of light, the greatest amount of dark, and the two equinoxes are where the two lines cross in the middle of the eight. So while the solstices represent the extremes, the equinoxes represent the middle. My friend Donna Wilshire... um, I'm sorry, not Donna Wilshire, Mama Donna, Donna Hens, down in uh, New York City, 
uh, for many, many years, over 25 years now, has done, done egg balancing at the moment of the equinox. Mm. It's said that at the exact moment of the equinox that an egg will balance on end. Mm. And that has been her consistent public performance of the equinox. And she invites as many people as want. Sometimes it's hundreds of people to bring eggs and balance them. And she, you know, is there with the stopwatch, you know, like uh, like on New Year's Eve. Four, three, two, one, balance! <laughs> and there's the egg. <laughs> right. And, of course, like all balance, it's instantly gone the next second, right? Right. Because balance is not a sustainable now. state. And it's one of the reasons why people get themselves in so many problems when they try to gain balance. And then they think of balance as an objective. Because it's a non-living state. It's a non-normal state. It's um, a non-creative state, basically. You're being controversial right now. (laughs) (sighs) I like how many gurus think of balances. Is it weird saying balance is not natural? Balance is not natural. No, balance is absolutely unnatural in living things. Right. Us, humans and such. (laughs) I mean, you want your tire to be balanced. But, you know, we would call somebody who's balanced depressed. Because they have no emotional affect. They're just gray. Right. Right. So, no, we want variation. Well, hooray then for the equinox and each in our own way to recognize this unique point. Traditionally, the celebration of the equinox and the celebration of the solstice, which are the oldest known human celebrations, spanned a three-day period. Mm. So it's not too late. It's the 19th, the 20th, and the 21st of September. When you did more public celebrations, what kinds of things would you do? I would guess a bonfire and people jumping around and feasting and all sorts of things and things that are public. <laughs> so, well, I asked because you were saying, oh, it was more, you know, interior rather than public, making me think perhaps you had led public rituals, but I see that that's not true, that I made that up. <laughs> I was just saying what I've been doing recently has been right. less public. But, but the way you said it was, well, you know, this year it's just internal, not public. And so I thought, oh, well, last year it must have been public. And that's my nature. I'm very external. If you know me, I'm very um external person that loves people. So I love when anything's, you know, I'm a very celebratory uh, sort of human. But uh, but I I get your point. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, this year it's been very solitary, actually. <laughs> but well, of course, in an apple-growing region like where I live here in the Hudson River Valley, our autumn thoughts, our equinox thoughts, always turn to apples. And we were challenged one year to come up with an equinox song. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll tell you the words. Turn me in your spiral press till my sweet juices flow, goddess. The wheel of the year is turning, turning, 
turning into darkness. So you're going to sing it the second time? I'm messing with you. <laughs> me in your spiral press to my sweet juices flow, Okay, I like the melody. I like the the sort of eerie half step melody. The sort of so it had a nice falling like, autumn kind of melody. Huh? Yeah. So very we, good. We we worked in a group to create this um, with my dear friend Marie Summerwood, who's a wonderful chant maker, and we were very very worried about the the melody, and she said just trust that when the words come together, the melody will come to it. And what she had to do was gather a kind of mental basket full of words and then start to toss them out till we were just left with a few words. Okay. She says that's the real essence of the chant is to, to get, get the feeling across with very, very few words. And it, so it is a kind of poetry. To write chants. Yeah. Well, let's see. Where we left off last week was talking about Uznia and where we've been for low these many months. And I'm not bored. I hope you're not bored, and I hope the listeners are not bored yet. Um, eventually, we will, and we will go on to something else. But I'm really enjoying herbal antibiotics, natural alternatives for treating drug-resistant bacteria by Stephen Herod Booner. And I'm enjoying it because <clears throat> I very much enjoy his writing. <clears throat> and I'm enjoying it because I love to read, and I love to read out loud. And I'm enjoying it because I l- love to get to add my own commentary as I read out loud. And how can I be bored because I talk Susan Weed into singing on my show? <laughs> how can I possibly be bored? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, properties of Uznia. Its actions are analgesic, that means painkilling, antibacterial, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, anti-neoplastic, that means it helps prevent cancer, antioxidant, anti-parasitic, anti-proliferative, also means it stops cancer cells from proliferating, anti-protozoal, antiseptic, and antiviral. Usnia has a bad case of the antis, huh? It does a whole bunch of anti-stuff. It is a drug synergist, and it potentiates and helps other drugs to work better. It's also an immunostimulant and an inhibitor of biofilm formation. Let's take just a moment here. In general, we think of bacteria as being individuals. Because we, of course, see the world through our own individuation. And while it is true that bacteria can be individuals and can be very hardy individuals, they're not so problematic so long as they stay individuals. But bacteria reproduce. They reproduce very quickly. And they form clans and colonies and towns. And when they do that, they start to excrete something that holds them all together into a bio 
film. They excrete a kind of glue, a kind of sticky stuff that makes this a biofilm. And at that point, it's very difficult for the immune system components to deal with the bacterial infections. And this is one of the ways that bacterial infections kind of get ahead in the world. <clears throat> Biofilms can coat water pipes. They uh, can be incredible nuisances in cheese manufacturing plants and other places where a high degree of uh, <clears throat> antibacterial action is needed. And the antibacterial action alone is not enough. So Usnia has lots and lots of antis, antibacterial, antimicrobial, right, antiviral, antiseptic, right, antiprotozoal. But even more important than those antis is its ability to stop the bacteria from making that coat, that glue that they stick themselves together with that turns them into a biofilm. Usnia has been shown to be active against primarily gram-positive bacteria, and very strongly so, both resistant bacteria and non-resistant bacteria, including Bacillus megatherium, Bacillus subtilis, Bacteriodes, Calostridium, Corneobacterium, Diphtheriae, Enterococcus facilis, Enterococcus facium, Listeria, Micrococcus, Microbacterium, Staphylococcus, Staphylococcus aureus, Streptococcus, Streptococcus mutans. A number of these bacteria cause diseases of the gastrointestinal tract, and others cause diseases of the skin. Osnia species have been found active in a number of in vitro studies against a few gram-negative bacteria, including Heliobacter pylori, E. coli, Yersinia enterocolitica, and Proteus mirabilis. Interestingly, the first three of these, Heliobacter, E. coli, and Yersinia, cause infections in the gastrointestinal tract, for which Usnia is highly useful. It is not a strongly systemic herb that tends to act within the gastrointestinal tract. Usnia is active against a number of viruses. Oh, and by the way, the other bacteria usually cause urinary infections. Usnia is active against a number of viruses, including herpes simplex, um, a tumor virus, a poliomavirus, and Epstein-Barr virus. <clears throat> it's also active against parasitical disease organisms, including Echinococcus and its cysts, Toxoplasma gondii, and many different kinds of yeast as well, including Candida species. Usnia and Usnic acid are active <clears throat> against a number of cancer cell lines, including lung cancer, breast cancer, malignant mesothelimio cells, and vulvar carcinoma cells must make mental note. There's not a lot of things that are active against vulvar carcinoma. That's cancer of the vulva. And there are um, <clears throat> DES daughters and granddaughters who can get uh, cancer of the vulva, a kind of rare kind of cancer of the vulva. 
Glycinia has been used to, re- to treat resistant gram-positive bacterial skin infections, vaginal infections, resistant gram-positive tubercular infections, and infections of the gastrointestinal tract, including the throat. <clears throat> Fungal skin infections, resistant bronchial and pulmonary infections, especially those caused by gram-positive bacteria. Also against conjunctivitis when used as eye drops. But not as a tincture. <clears throat> Don't be putting alcohol in your eyes or your eyes will never forgive you. Right. Remember last week we were talking about drying the usnea and then running it, running it through a grinder and then a very fine mesh strainer. And then you could mix that for as an eye wash. I would mix it with milk, and then I would strain it again before I put it in my eye. We talked about making the tincture, and we had gotten into side effects and contraindications, at which point I said, oh, my, there certainly are a lot of side effects and contraindications, so let's come back to that next week. Interestingly enough, usnea may cause contact dermatitis. Isn't that a kind of funny thing? And herbalists are always fond of looking for those kinds of things. As a matter of fact, those kinds of herbalists become homeopaths. When they say, look at that, this herb treats and causes the same kind of thing. Usnea has been found to readily absorb heavy metals in potentially problematic amounts. This is noted as a particular difficulty in extreme northern latitudes. So I would say even most of populated Canada is not extreme northern latitude. But once you start to get up north of the population centers in Canada, you're probably getting into an area where Usni could be accumulating way too much heavy metals, especially because there are uh, power generating stations there which can sometimes put heavy metals into the environment. Generally, the amount of usnea taken is not going to contain sufficient amounts of heavy metals to present a problem. But just to be sure... He suggests that you harvest usnea at least 300 feet from roads, factories, or polluted areas. And, you know, that's just kind of a guess. He could say 400 feet. He could say 200 feet. I usually say, you know, it's really not going to matter. If it's coming out of a smokestack or or a factory, it is going to be going up um, and spreading out. So use your best judgment about where to get things. Sometimes going way out into the wilderness is not necessarily better than harvesting beside the road. Note, there has been concern expressed in a number of forums about the toxicity of usnic acid found in usnia. The problem has arisen through improper use of isolated constituents. This has led to calls for banning usnea as an herb in the United States. As usual, the promoters of the isolated constituent said that it would cause weight loss, and they were engaging in practices that were highly questionable ethically. They sold and heavily hyped the one isolated constituent of usnea called usnic acid to lose weight. But usnic acid in isolation and in large doses is just 
awful to the liver. People died. Others needed liver transplants. As a result, the National Toxicity Program recommended a review of not only the toxicity of usnic acid, but also usnia barbata. Unfortunately, given the bias of the Food and Drug Administration, the odds are high that usnia barbata will be found to be unsafe for general use. Adds its name to the list of other herbs which are actually quite safe, but have been found unsafe. Usnic acid should not be used in isolation. The usnia lichens, however, are extremely safe for herbal use. So, isn't that funny? All that to say, hey, don't worry about any of it. Usnia is really safe. And again, remembering that usnia is an herbal antibiotic. It's not the kind of thing that we're going to wake up and have with our breakfast coffee. We're going to save it for those times when we really need it. Usnia grows on trees throughout the world, said Stephen Heron Booner, on every continent. It, while it prefers conifers like pine, spruce, juniper, and firs, and deciduous hardwoods like oak, hickory, walnut, apple, pear, and so on, you can even find Usnea on a coconut palm. So I guess I was wrong when I said it's that I haven't seen it in the tropics. I'm going to have to look harder the next time I'm in Costa Rica. Usnea is an extremely prolific plant, but it is slow-growing. It lives for a very long time. So the herbalists of the world suggest that we harvest only the amount of usnea that we actually think that we can use since it is slow-growing and long-lived. Should you need more, you can easily go out and get more. I prefer the tiny tufted species that grow in the forest around where I live, says Stephen Herod Booner. They take longer to harvest, but they're not endangered, and actually, I think they're a little more potent than Usnea longissima and Usnea barbata, the usual species used. Usnea longissima is prolific in some areas, but in others it is endangered. Logging and development have destroyed its main habitat, which is owned growth forests, and it's very sensitive to pollution and climate change. Usnea longissima is the usnea species most often sold by herbal companies and most commonly wildcrafted because of its size, which is up to three feet. Mm. It would be better if commercial companies didn't harvest it and we didn't buy it from them. If we harvested it only for our own personal use, well, you know, it would be fine for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. Any species of usnea makes medicine. <clears throat> the chemistry of usnea. Usnic acid is a constituent that everybody talks about, and it is a potent, highly antibacterial chemical. Usnea species contain anywhere from 0.22% to 6.5% usnic acid. Usnea longissima is reported to have the most usnic acid. However, many of the other constituents of the usneas are strongly antibacterial, including hirtusneanoside and vulpinic acid. In addition to usnic acid, usnea contains vulpinic acid and a whole bunch of stuff. Let's see if any of this is interesting to us. Beta-cystosterol, <clears throat> that's an important hormone. Um, gosh, I never heard of zero in. That, that sounds uh, pretty interesting. Um, 
a lot of acids, a lot of polysaccharides, raffinose, phenolic compounds, uznaric acid, lobaric acid, stictinic acid, and I quote a lot of other stuff. About 50% of usnea is water-soluble polysaccharides. One of the more interesting developments in the medicinal chemistry of lichens is the recognition that lichens often harbor diverse fungi that are themselves highly bioactive. Some of the fungi are harbored, harbored on the outside surface of the lichen, and others are... Lichen colois. They fruit from the lichen foli. But some of the most interesting are endolichenic fungi. They live within the lichen foli. One lichen, Lethariatum vulpini, has, uh, has over a thousand different fungal strains living on and within it. Usneas also contain numerous fungal strains, and these strains also possess bioactivity when used medicinally. An associated fungus from Usnea cavernosa, for example, has been found to contain some unusual compounds, including corinesporol, dehydroherberin, and herberin. Dehydroherberin potently inhibits the migration of cancer cell lines and, along with berberin, possesses weak anti-amoebic and antimicrobial activity. Again, plants, or lichens in this case, are exceptionally complex. Their full chemical range is unlikely to ever be completely pried apart or understood. Nonetheless, they are potently synergistic in their chemical actions and some of the actions attributable to usnea are most likely from associated fungal strains. And Susan, to respect your time, it's just about 10.30. And I was just going to say, I guess we have yet another week of usnea. Uh, our time goes so quickly. Every time you and I are together, it always seems so fast. <laughs> we'll come back and we'll look at some traditional uses of usnea and then a couple of good pages of scientific research as to what's going on with usnea. So keep your eyes open. Uh, remember that herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door. Thank you so much for having me here on Main Street. Green blessings to you and everyone. Thank you, Susan, and green blessings. Everyone, you've been listening to Susan Weed, um, Green Magic, Green Medicine, and we will continue this discussion next week, Tuesday evenings at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you all, and have a great evening. Blessed are we in the awakening dawn. Blessed are we. Oh.
dark of the night as we slip into dreams that are calling. Blessed are we in the awakening dawn. Blessed are we in the Archaeology, Forgotten History, Divination, Magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, Nature, Science, and Spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. (laughs) 